Um, so today, we're going to talk about a subject that you'll, you'll have a couple of responses. You will either respond by being upset about today's message, because you will feel, you will say you feel offended, I would say you feel convicted, or you will find yourself under conviction to where you realize, hey, there's some things in my life I need to change. Because today we're talking about hypocrisy. We good? All right, just making sure we hadn't lost anybody. Before we do that, I don't know if y'all been keeping up. Taylor Swift is having a, an incredible year. She just went on tour. Um, you can buy a ticket to one of her concerts for anywhere upwards of like $80,000 plus a mortgage. Um, but last year she made some headlines because she is real big into the environment and protecting the environment and you know, we need to watch out for our carbon footprints and we need to be careful how much power we use and all these things that Taylor Swift was just pushing, you know, her environmental things. And then a report comes out that Taylor Swift has a private airplane. And they were like, oh, Taylor, I mean, I'm not surprised she's made more money on breakup songs than anybody in the world. So, of course, what are you going to spend it on? Private plane. So T. Swift buys herself a private plane, well, this younger generation just has a way of calling people on what it is, and not only did they call the fact that, hey, Taylor Swift has a private plane, we've been tracking her private plane, and we know how far she's been traveling. They had figured in one year's time that that plane has spent a total of 16 days in the air, okay? That's a lot of hours, okay, if you're doing the math with me. That's also a lot of carbon emissions, right? So they called her on it, and they said on, on the social media realm of Twitter, hey, Miss Environmental Girl, who breaks up with everybody, has a private plane, and she's flown a total of 16 days. By the way, here's the article where she talks about how big she is into environmental things. So, of course, they had to do some PR here, because it wasn't looking good for, for Swift. And so they asked her publicist, could you, do you want to explain how she's so big on the environment, but yet her plane has spent 16 days in the air? And this was her response. I loan my plane out to a lot of people. Y'all hearing, hearing this? It's not my fault. It's my plane. But I'm just letting it happen. Isn't that the biggest form of hypocrisy that you've ever seen? Like, I'm, I'm, I say one thing, but I'm not following through with it with everything else. And I'm not bashing Taylor Swift, and if she's watching this, because she has absolutely nothing else to do on YouTube, please do not write a song about me. But if you do, put our church's giving link in there so we can get a building. That'd be fantastic. Um, <laughs> hypocrisy. When you walked in, you should have, or can when you walk out. Probably got one of these little break. Y'all remember these back in the day? It says WWJD. What, what does that stand for? Anybody? Oh, man, I remember in high school, everybody had these. Everybody had the WWJD bracelet. Problem was, uh, we never read the Bible enough to know what Jesus would do, right? But we did remember the story about the time that he got really, really upset and flipped tables and started hitting people with a whip. I was like, Jesus would do that. And Jesus also took naps. So we, we were good on both fronts. And, and there were people that would wear these bands, church people, and... It was questionable of, did you hear what you just said? Is that what Jesus would do? Did you see what you just did? Is that something Jesus would do? 
And that was just me talking to myself, by the way, because I think that I, I, I could boldly say that I, I oftentimes can be a hypocrite. Any, anybody else not agreeing with me that I can be a hypocrite, but agreeing that you can be a hypocrite? Anybody? And oftentimes we ask this question, what would Jesus do? He would not be hypocritical. I mean, Jesus was very clear on, and we're, we're going to come back to this in a minute because I'm going to give you a task with, with these bracelets here. We're going we're to redeem what it means as a body to actually follow through and do what Jesus did. But hypocrisy. We can proclaim Jesus and proclaim to follow him, but our lives can look completely different. I had someone say this week that I love Jesus. I heard him. I wasn't having this conversation. I overheard the conversation. I know I love Jesus. And they said, where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. I love Jesus, but I don't go to church. And I'm thinking, how do you love Jesus, but not his church? You know, does that sound hypocritical? All right. Yes. I'll answer that question for you. Um, how many of you know a hypocrite? Show of hands. Cool. How many of you are sitting next to a hypocrite? All right. I'm just trying to stir the pot this morning. I, I, think, I think you would agree with me. It's really easy for us to see hypocrisy in other people. Am I right? Like it's really easy for me to call it on somebody else. But I find it very difficult for it to be called on me. And if you pointed out that I am a hypocrite, I get really offensive, defensive about it. And I get very offended about it. And I begin trying to explain it away. We're in this series where we talk about people who have left the faith, and one of the things, one of the biggest things that caused people to leave the church, we talked about doubt last week, but this week, it's hypocrisy. You ever, you ever had somebody invite them to church, or you've heard it like, hey, I'd love for you to come to church with me, or be a part of my disciple group, and they would go, I, I don't do church, because church is full of, right? And we all just admitted that we're, we're hypocrites, so technically they're right. Would you say that, that they're right? Like, and oftentimes, you know, pastors will make the comment, I made it last week, that if you're a hypocrite, you'll fit right in with the rest of us. But the problem is, I think it dismisses pain of people. Because before they encounter Jesus, they encounter you. And they will judge your Jesus based on who you are. And there have been times in my life where I would encounter someone as a believer and they didn't want to have anything to do with the Jesus that I, I apparently had in my life. Because my, my life was not adding up to the teachings. I mean, even Gandhi said in India, oh, I love Jesus. It's his people that I have the issue with. They look nothing like their Jesus. I think we could say that in American churches today. I love the church. But many of them look nothing like Jesus. You know, Paul wrote a lot of letters to churches. A lot of letters calling them to a higher standard, calling them into a place of repentance. If Paul were here today, I think we'd be getting a letter. Not, not as, a, as a church, as a whole. We would be getting a letter from Paul because of hypocrisy. You know, some people see hypocrisy and they'll claim, they'll claim that, um, hey, I didn't know any better or, you know, it's fine. Just kind of ignore it. But many people walk away because of hypocrisy. Many people will never step foot in a church because of hypocrisy. Many people will never engage into a spiritual conversation 
because of hypocrisy, because our lives need to add up to what it is that we're proclaiming. Brennan, uh, Brennan Manning, he was a theologian, he said this about hypocrisy. The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips. Then they walk out of the door and deny him with their lifestyle. This is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. That's powerful words, isn't it? Like, if you go talk to servers that serve in these restaurants after church, they'll tell you some of the worst people that they encounter are people that just left church. They don't tip. They're rude. And don't ever be rude in restaurants because you don't know somebody's going to take your steak to the back and throw it in the floor and then bring it back to you cooked. Don't do that. But they said it's some of the, the harshest people. And some people, and I think Brennan's right here, and he's right well before our time, but, but he's saying that we're good at acknowledging Jesus with our lips. And we'll come in here and we'll proclaim him and we'll lift our hands high. And then we'll walk out and our lives won't look anything like what we portray in here. Our worship looks different oftentimes on the outside of these walls than it does on the inside. And it pushes people away from the faith. So I want to build a little bit of a foundation this morning on what hypocrisy is and what it is not. So before we say what it is, let's talk about what hypocrisy is not. So if you're taking notes and have your handout, you could write this down. Hypocrisy is not the disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. Like, I wish that I didn't get frustrated when I tried to drive to Somerville. Anybody else? <laughs> I don't know who designed the road system in Somerville. If you know who did, pray for them. But I wish I didn't get frustrated and want to cut people off. Didn't want to hit the accelerator and, you know, just love tap people. I oftentimes would think that, um, <clears throat> that I didn't think the way that I would often think. You know, there, so there's a, difference, there's a difference between sin and hypocrisy, right? Me, I, I remember we lived just right outside of Charlotte and every single day at the same time when I had to get to the city of Charlotte, there would be these guys wearing tight biker shorts and helmets and they would all, there'd be like a thousand of them and they would clog the lane where you couldn't get by. And I, I, I'm tell, I, I would love to tell you that I was like, oh, look at the, these guys are out here exercising. You know, they're enjoying the environment. Look at this big group of people. Every single time I had the same thought. If I could just take out the front one, <laughs> do, 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 all the way back, and then I could always get here on time because they would either dodge me or stop coming out here. I'm not anti-bicycle rider. Just anti-bicycle rider when you're in my lane and I'm trying to get somewhere. That wasn't hypocrisy, that was just straight sin of, of feeling that way about people, right? So it's not a disparity between what we do and what we wish we did. We've we got to define between being a hypocrite and being a sinner. Because there are things that we know that are wrong and we, we need to repent of those things. But there's also things that I'm in here telling you that we need to do this and that I'm not doing this, right? So hypocrisy, the difference between sinning and being hypocritical. So hypocrisy is this. It's the gap between what we show and who we are. What we show and who we are. And, and as pastors, you can see this on a bigger scale with pastors because when pastors fall, especially the bigger the church, the harder the fall, and everybody knows. You remember Jim Baker back in the 80s 
when Jim Baker was doing all this ministry, everything was going well, and then we found out behind closed doors that he had some financial scandal that was going on, and then the whole collapse. And, and we can see more in pastors because of the, the platform that they create for themselves, uh, which is not the case. You know, pastors were never called to, to create platforms, right? Um, we, we were called to stand at the foot of the cross at everybody else and preach the gospel and proclaim. And when you, when you build platforms, hypocrisy easily begins to move in. And that's not just for pastors, that's for you too, because oftentimes you'll use platforms that you have for self-glorification uh, on you. So the gap between, with hypocrisy, is the gap between this is what I show and this is who I really am. And that's hard because oftentimes we have a hard time trying to be who we really are because we don't want to share our struggles and our pains and our heartaches with everybody else. So it's the difference between what we say and how we live. It's the difference between our public persona and our private character. It's when real life isn't consistent with what we show. So Jesus often speaks all throughout the scripture about hypocrisy. And in the Greek, that word hypocrisy basically means wearing a different mask. In the Greek culture, one of the ways that they would, they, they believed in theater and the arts. And, and one of the ways that you would learn about the news, like you and I watch the news at night or read the news, they would actually act it out on stage. But they had a word called hypocrisy. And this word hypocrisy, what it meant was that they would literally change masks to change character. And if you watch a, a Greek theater, they, they would put one mask on to be this person. And then they would take it off and they would become this other person with their mask. And so Jesus is using that term. And Paul is using that term when we read about hypocrisy. So I want you to think about that. Is that I'm one person over here and I take this mask off and I become this person over here. So... In Titus chapter 1, it says this, that such people, listen to these, these words because these are strong, such people claim that they know God, okay? He says such people claim that they know God, but they deny him. Listen to this. He doesn't say that they deny him with the things that they say. It says this, but they deny him by the way they what? By the way they live. It's not verbal. It's physically of how they're living their lives. They're, the way they're living life is saying that I'm denying God, even though I say I know him. Did you know even the demons know him? The Bible says even the demons know. There's a difference between knowing and knowing, right? You know me, but do you really know me? I know you, but do I really know you? Do I know your favorite color? Do I know your social security number? That's how you know if you really know somebody or their garage code. But he says they deny him by the way they live. And listen to this. It says this. They are detestable and disobedient and worthless for doing anything good. Anybody want those three words tagged into your resume for the next job that you apply for? That you, you are detestable, you're disobedient, and you're worthless. What he's saying here is that people that claim to know God, but deny him with the way that they live, they're not doing anything good for the kingdom. There's nothing good that's going to happen and come from that. I want you to notice throughout the gospel that Jesus speaks the harshest to the Pharisees who are hypocrites in religion. See, Satan's biggest tool is religion. 
He can use religion to split us. He can use religion not just to split us with inside the church and cause divide, but also split the world from us so that they'll never hear the gospel message because of our religious views. And Jesus is constantly, throughout the scripture, saving his harshest words for the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the church leaders of the day. And I told you a few minutes ago, there's one moment that Jesus enters the temple and sees them basically making it difficult for them to worship by charging them extra money to buy this animal or not being able to have this animal for sacrifice. And he make it difficult. And Jesus, it says, is sitting in the corner and he's weaving these ropes together and makes a whip. And then he goes Indiana Jones on them and he flips the tables and he pushes them out. And I love it in Mark because in Mark it says that Jesus walks up to the entrance where they would come into the temple and he shut the whole system down. And he said, we're not going to act like this. We're not going to be a distraction and be hypocrites and keep people from coming to know who I am. This verse isn't on the screen, but I want to read it to you to give you some more context. Jesus is, Jesus is criticizing the religious leaders. He says this in, in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, okay, he's talking about the Pharisees who are in earshot of what he's saying, but he's addressing the crowd and the disciples. And he says this, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. And these guys are going, yeah, we are. You know, and they're straightening their robes and their tassels. And it's like, now finally, Jesus has come to his senses. He's going to say good things about us. And they stand up straight and they're proud. And Jesus says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. Yes, we are the official interpreters of Moses. Y'all listen to this guy. He's right. Listen to what we teach and obey the things that we teach. And he says, so practice and obey whatever they tell you. But don't follow their example. Whoa, time out. I thought you were on our side here, Jesus. What are, what are you doing? He says, don't, don't follow their example. They do not practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands. They never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes. Their scripture verses are inside. They wear robes that are extra long with their tassels just dragging on the ground, looking all um, prestigious. And he says that, that everything that they're doing is just for show. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplace and people calling them rabbi. And Jesus said, don't let anybody call you rabbi, for you only have one teacher and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. They're no better than you are. Here's a word for our pastors today. We're no better than you are. I'm a sinner. I'm a hypocrite who needs repentance just like you. And he says, and don't address anybody here on earth as father, for the only God in heaven is your spiritual father. Don't let anybody call you teacher, for you only have one teacher. He's the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant. Now, Pharisees are not very happy right now because it's disrupting their business. I don't know if you know this, and give you a little bit of back history. There was a temple that Solomon built in the Old Testament. That temple got destroyed. Then it was rebuilt when the Romans came in and took over Jerusalem and said, hey, we're going to do you a solid. We're going to rebuild the temple for you. And the Jews were like, yes, finally, the temple is going to be rebuilt. We're going to have a place to worship, and we're going to have the Holy of Holies, and we've got a place to put the Ark of the Covenant. This is going to be a great day. So the Romans rebuilt it, but they said, there's a catch. Because it's always a catch when the Romans are involved making negotiations with the Jewish people. 
And the catch was, the Romans said, we will appoint the high priest. We will appoint the scribes. We will appoint the Pharisees. We will appoint anybody leading the temple. We will appoint them. And we're going to build a structure called the Antonia Fortress that's going to attach to your temple so that we can watch and make sure everything's going down the way we want it to. And just to put it in today's terms, the United States government would go to the churches and say, here's your new pastor. Everybody feel comfortable with that. No, the giving goes down because now you're worried about them tracking that on, on all kinds of stuff, right? Attendance goes down because if, if, if the government puts a pastor in place, there's got to be a motive, right? We're going to control what happens. The Pharisees are being used to control what is happening. When, they, when the Romans didn't get what they wanted in AD 70, they dug holes in the foundation of the temple and they set fire underground and it got so hot it blew the temple up, which was a prophecy from Jesus. So these are the people that Jesus is talking to. They, they show that they love God, but they don't. They just outwardly look the part, but they're getting side cash from the Roman government and they're oppressing the people, oppressing them so that they can't worship God the way the scriptures tell them to. So Jesus has these words for them in Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you. Okay, woe. As in, whoa, pause for just a second. There's a lot of woes in this chapter, by the way. He says, woe to you, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. You, what is the word he calls them? They don't like that. I mean, they, remember, Jesus has already said, hey, these are the interpreters of the law of Moses. They are smart. They do know things. They can teach. So listen to what they're saying, but do not follow in the example. And now he's telling us why. Because these guys are hypocrites. They wear one mask over here when they're teaching to you. And they go behind closed doors. They have a whole other mask when they're hanging out with their Roman counterparts. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Which, which is another stab. Because death in, in Judaism, there were cleanliness. You didn't touch dead bodies because you were unclean. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs. Which look beautiful on the outside. But on the inside are full of bones of the dead. And everything unclean. In the same way, you're outside, you appear to people as righteous. And Jesus is kind of saying, hey, I'm on to you guys. I'm on to this little thing that you got going on, and I'm not going to deal with it in my father's house. So I'm going to call it. And, and he says, so you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. You snakes, you broad of vipers. Let me, let me translate that. In the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, Eve was tempted by calling him Satan. Called the religious leaders, hey, Satan, you brought a vipers, you bunch of little Satans. How will you escape being condemned to hell? That was not even a thought on their, their radar, because we're doing all the right stuff. So how would we even be in danger of hellfire? Right? We're, we're the religious elite. Look at my robe. Look at my tassels. Look at what I have. And he, and he calls them out and says, you, you do look good. Like, that's a nice robe you got. This, this, those tassels are sweet, man. But I'm not judging from that. See, I don't think Jesus is sitting in here this morning watching how high we raise our hands and how loud we sing our songs. He's watching the posture of your heart, not of your body. Because your worship could sound great in here, but does your worship have hands and feet once you walk outside of this room? Does it take on the characteristics and traits 
of Jesus. So we said a hypocrite is the one who wants to look good on the outside, but on the inside could be very far away from God. We, we want this illusion of pub public virtue. We want these people in the public to see us and say that, hey, they've got it all together, but inside we don't have it all together. And what's interesting to me is Jesus didn't say, woe to you who say bad words, or woe to you who watches a show on Netflix you probably shouldn't watch, or woe to you who's looking at stuff you shouldn't be doing on the internet, or woe to you who's doing bad things. He said, woe to you who do it, but act like you don't. Did y'all catch that? Woe to you who do it, but act like you don't do it. Woe to you that, that, that do these things. I mean, I would agree or, or ask that you'd agree with me on this, that social media is one of the biggest breeding grounds for hypocrisy. We can become anything we want on social media. I love it when husbands put stuff on there. Because I always have to try to read into it. Like, I love my wife. My wife's the greatest. She's the coolest. Man, she's the greatest thing ever. Like, I wonder what this dude did. <laughs> that now he's posted. Because he hadn't posted since March of 2015. <laughs> when he was in a relationship and it was complicated. And now his wife's the greatest thing in the world. We, we become whatever we look like. I, I was talking to a, a pastor the other day, and he's, he's like, man, I, I give up. I'm, I'm tired of this stuff. I can't do the church thing anymore. It's not working for me. I look at everybody else's church, and it's going well, and mine, it, it just, and I'm just telling you, he said, it just sucks. I hate my church. I was like, have you visited these other churches? He's like, no, I look on Facebook, and everybody else seems to have it all together, and I, I've been on their social media accounts, and they got a great worship leader, and they got great, better communicators, and, and then like, your church has it all together. I was like, bro, we don't even have chairs that match. We don't have it all together because we, we often try to take a, a snapshot of what other people have and compare it, but we can be whatever we want. We can bring a camera into this space right now and take super tight pictures and post them, and we can make it look like we're a megachurch if we wanted to. It's magic. It's called Photoshop. I can add anything, take anybody out. Oh, we don't want this person to be in this picture, so let's just go ahead and cut them on out. Social media has a tendency to push this hypocrisy thing a whole nother step forward. And it puts us in a place as believers to not be honest and real with the things that we struggle with. Therefore, cramming that down in our well to try to hide it. Can I just tell you, Whatever you cram in the well will always come back up in the bucket. It'll always come back. I don't care what you do. You know, you, you post about how much you love your husband, how much you love your wife, and then you've, you've painted this whole picture, but you don't even sleep in the same bed at night. You haven't even talked to each other in a, in a solid week. Or you're doing your devotion and you set up your coffee cup just right and you get the bible and the lighting just right you've already picked the filter out and you post it my time with daddy because we don't say god we just make it really really weird right this is my time with daddy god and it looks great but the problem is you spent more time setting the picture up than you did setting your heart up for the bible study to just have a god right i'm not condemning you if you're taking pictures of your bible and doing that i'm not condemning you i'm just saying there are a lot of people that post these things, and they didn't spend any time reading the Bible. It's just, this looks really, this looks really good right here. Light hits it. Just perfect. 
somebody will be convicted and saved, it'll be great. I don't know if that's ever happened since I got saved. I'm just saying. We have to be very careful and have self-awareness. Right? And, I, and just a reminder, we're all hypocrites. This is not pointing a finger at people. Because before I point at people, i got to do this first. Right? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We want to be. We think our kids are perfect. And then they let us down. And we realize, oh my gosh, they're sinners. Just like I am. And they got my DNA. Even worse. So Jesus says, well, do you ha- how are you going to escape being condemned from hell? Because you've put on this, this picture of making it bigger than what it really is. And, and he, he, comes, he comes at this point in verses 25 and 26. Again, he says, well, do you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of a cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee. How do you not see this? He says, first you clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. But you're so worried about what's on the outside that you've done no self-care, no no self-awareness to fix what is on the inside. Because I can look the part, and then I can get really angry with somebody really quick. You know why I can get really angry with somebody really quick? Because I have not cleaned up the inside. There's an inside. And Jesus says, you, you blind Pharisee. You blind, like you don't even see it. Because it's hard to see it when everybody is singing your praises. When you're full of yourself and not full of Jesus, it's really hard to realize it. You have to let the Spirit of God do a work internally where nobody else sees it. There are things that God wants to do on the inside. When you're internal, things are happening internally, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. That's what God's working within us. When God's word is transforming us, then out of that overflow, we begin to become and display the traits of Jesus. But it's what happens on the inside. Like you can look at yourself in the mirror and go, I'm overweight. But you're judging from the outside. How do you know if you're overweight? You step on a scale. Is the scale measuring your outside? Some, some, y'all offended with scales all of a sudden? Does the scale do something bad to you? <laughs> it's like, like looks on his face like, I don't like that scale in my bathroom. I took, oddly enough, we didn't have any at the yard sale yesterday, so y'all must be okay. <laughs> but that scale measures what's on the inside, what we can't see. See, there, there are things on the inside that we have to fix. I would rather be an honest sinner than a lying and deceptive hypocrite. Anybody with me on that? I would much rather be that way. Because at least I can sit down across the table from you and say, I don't have this all together. Instead of telling you, oh man, this is easy. It's great. Have you seen my Facebook page? It's, this life is phenomenal. I am living that abundant life, holy and blessed and is great. But then they go to Snapchat where things disappear and you realize your life is really in a way. I want to call us just to drop the mask and be honest. Just to be honest about our pains, our struggles, our doubts. We, we pushed that a little bit last week. Because G- Jesus has zero tolerance for hypocrisy. He can't stand it, can't stomach it. He hates it. 
He has zero tolerance towards hypocrisy. But here's the good news. He has unlimited grace for us. Unlimited grace. Because he said, I have come to help sinners. I have come to heal sinners. I have come to bring life to sinners. Conviction. Restoration. He didn't come for those who appear to be righteous. He says, I came for those who are sinners. He didn't come for those who are healthy. He came for those who were sick. And again, who is he talking to in this passage? He's talking to the religious leaders. But that is, don't take that as this is not for you too. It's for all of us. That God has come to give us grace, an unlimited grace. We, we, we sin. Amen? We sin. We have all sinned this morning at some point, I'm sure. On the way to church, it was an argument in the car. And the moment the door opened in that parking lot, you were the closest to Jesus that you had ever been. But you know you're going to walk out of this place and you're going to get back in that car and you're going to get the last word of that argument. Because you need grace. Jesus has no tolerance for the show. I believe there are going to be a lot of people that are going to get to heaven. And Jesus is going to look at them and they're going to say, Who are you? Because he says, depart from me. I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't, I don't know... I don't know who you are. You've, you've professed me with your lips, but man, your heart was so far from me. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. But the one who confesses and renounces them finds, what's that word? Mercy. I love what Lamentation says. It says that mercy is brand new every single morning. Thank God. Because I can tell you right now, there have been days where I have made a massive overdraw of my mercy deposit. And I have spent everything, and I get the overdraft letter from the Father that you have overspent your limit of mercy today. But I wake up the next morning, and there's a brand new deposit of mercy that God has given me. When we woke up this morning, there was a brand new deposit of mercy for us this morning. Because he knows that we're not perfect. He knows we can't get this thing, you know, half the time we, we somewhat get it right. Like, I know he says when we all get to the throne and he's, and he's talking to us and he says, hey, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm just shooting for a, hey, that was a really good try, my man. It's a really good try. Come on in. Because he knows that we fall short. We can conceal our sins. We can pat those things down in our lives. But there will be no prosperity for us. Because we will always walk around. When we can pat our struggles and our sins and we push those things down, here's what it does. It begins to decay. And it breeds shame and guilt to where I don't want to have this conversation with everybody. I don't want you to know. I don't want you to know my deepest struggles. I don't want you to know my, my sin. I, I don't want to confess to you. But the Bible says in James that if we confess to one another, there's healing. 
because we get enough. We were not made to, to sin. We were not made to keep these things on the inside. That's why it says, you do not prosper. But if we confess, we find mercy. We act as if we tell God that we have sinned, that he's going to get so mad with us that he's going to kick us out of the family. But the point is, when we confess, he already knows the sin. He died for it. Confession is not about God. It is about you getting things right with God. We should be in a continual, everyday confession to the Father. The one who asks will find mercy. Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 139 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Now, this is a powerful prayer. How many of you prayed that? Search me, God. Because he's going to find it. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me. I like to leave that part out of the verse. Know my anxious thoughts. Well, good luck, God. There's a lot of those. See if there's any offense, offensive way in me. And lead me in the way that's everlasting. God, I'm just, God, David's asking, God, just please, 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 just search me. If there's anything that's in me that's not of you. God, I want to, I want to die to self. I want that to be gotten rid of. Because I want, I want to be pleasing to the Father. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to be healed. I want to have abundant life that you've called me to. He says, God, just search me and test me and know my anxious thoughts. And even reading that verse, that's a verse that would tense us up if we knew that we had to have that conversation with God right now. But he said, lead me in the way that's everlasting because God, I want, I'm willing to be uncomfortable and repent and confess so that I can have a relationship with you. As we said earlier, it's easy to point out hypocrisy in other people, isn't it? But it's ourselves. And David prays this, search me, God, know my heart, test me, know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way, lead me into the everlasting. Our prayer this morning should be this simple, search me, God, just search me, show me. It is the gap between what we show and who we are. It's hypocrisy. What do we do with that gap? We don't close the gaps with perfection. We close the gaps with Christ. So we don't close that gap with perfections. We close it with Jesus because Jesus is the one that declares that I'm righteous. We talk about self-help. There's a lot of pastors that will preach self-help sermons to make you feel really good about yourself. Can I tell you what the problem with self-help sermons are? Besides the fact that Jesus said you don't need to preach that. Self-help sermons mean exactly what it is. Here's how I can get myself out of this problem. And the problem with self-help is I am still involved and I am not helping myself. I need a savior to get me out of this mess. Amen? Jesus is here to pull us out and has declared us righteous and has caused us the sons and the daughters of God. He's the one that brings forgiveness. He's the one that brings healing. He's the one that brings redemption. So we don't close a gap with an outward behavior that I know I feel like a hypocrite. So I'm just going to try to act my way out of this. No, we need to surrender and stop trying to fix the problem and go to Jesus and ask him to fix the problem. Because when we're inwardly, when we begin to transform inwardly over time, here's what happens when, when a work is happening on the inside, it begins to overflow 
to the outside. It's the outside behavior, and that becomes a reflection of inward healing working through the grace of Jesus. Do y'all follow me? Because oftentimes we want God to do something with us, but before God will do anything through you, he's got to do a work in you before that happens. So this morning, I just want to pray with you and pray for you. Because what Jesus would not do is be a hypocrite. We're sinners. And I, I can relate with people who don't know Jesus that are sinners, but when I'm a hypocrite telling them one thing but living a different life, I will never, ever be able to lead them to Jesus. So this morning, even with these bracelets, let's redeem this. You may not want to wear it on your wrist. You may want to just throw it on your car dashboard. I need to tape mine right there on the dash of my car. Maybe some of you need to tape it on the mirror in your house, wherever you're going to see it. But just make the prayer, God, today, search me. Search me. God, search my anxious heart. Search my emotions. Search my attitude. God, I want to be led into the ways that's everlasting because I, I... I want to lead people towards you. But God's got to do something inward. So this morning as we sing, just ask him to search you right there. Maybe there's a sin that you need to confess, you need to repent of right now. That it's been, on, it's been heavy and you haven't done anything about it, but you need to repent. Right there where you are, you can repent. God hears you exactly where you are. Maybe that argument that you got in with your spouse before you got here this morning, maybe right now is the time to just ask for forgiveness and apologize and end that before you walk back out of that car. Father, I pray this morning, it's really, really easy for us to be like the Pharisee and to be a hypocrite. But Lord, I just ask this morning that you would help us to know that you want us to be transparent and authentic. You want us to confess and repent. We You know that we don't have it all together. That's why Jesus came. And you're not intimidated by our sins. But God, you love us and you have an unlimited grace. The cure for hypocrisy is grace. Learning to live in grace of a father that welcomes us with the embrace of his arms. So I pray in this time that there will be confession that will happen in this room. There's forgiveness that needs to be sought. God, that we would seek that. We would repent. And that you would be glorified among everything that happens today. And then when we walk out of this room, we talk more about what you did than what happened with each other. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus who gives grace and forgiveness and redemption. And everybody said, amen.